0: I'm not going to speak on the subject you see printed in your bulletin. I've changed that because we were to have the Lord's Supper today. It's now been postponed. We will be doing that next Sunday. I want to speak this morning on the title of a poem written by Robert Frost, The Road Not Taken. I don't know whether Robert Frost was thinking of the Apostle Paul when he wrote that poem or not. The last stanza of which reads, I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence two roads diverged in a wood and I I took the road less traveled by and that has made all the difference. That has made all the difference. The apostle Paul took a road Not only less traveled by, but never traveled by anyone with the gospel of Christ. He took a road, never traveled, when he and the disciples sailed from Troas in Asia Minor to Philippi in Europe. And the gospel came westward. The gospel came to Europe. And ultimately to us. Someone has said the doors of history turn on very small hinges. And that little journey across the northeastern section of the Aegean Sea. A trip of about 200 miles. Was one of the most significant journeys ever taken by anyone. The gospel moving from Asia to Europe. We are the recipients of that road. Never traveled. A new road, a new direction for the gospel. You Read about it in the 16th chapter of Acts. Now, I do not know whether Yogi Berra knew Robert Frost or not. And I do not know whether Yogi Berra, that hall of famer and uh, common man's philosopher, knew the apostle Paul or not. But he once said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> well, Paul came to a fork in the road, and he took it. He would wanted to continue ministering in Asia Minor. They had prayed that they would be able to go back to some of the places they had been, back to some of the good old days, back to where they knew one another, back to the familiar, back to the, that which was customary. And God's Holy Spirit said no. God sometimes says no. God sometimes answers our prayer with a no. In the third chapter, I believe it's the third chapter of the book of the Revelation, the seventh verse. What God opens, no man can shut. What God shuts, no man can open. God shut the door to what Paul thought was his plan. He wanted to go back to some of the places he had been before. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Here's the Holy Spirit saying, don't preach there. That sounds strange, doesn't it? When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Here he was hearing a call from God, motivated by the Holy Spirit to move in a 180 degree change from the direction he would planned to go. Parenthetically, let me say a word here uh, that, that kind of jumped out at me. As I was thinking about this, I've preached on this passage of Scripture before, but not in the same context in which I want to do this morning. Having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to preach there. Notice he uses Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Jesus interchangeably. Holy Spirit. Now that's a word that's customary to all of us. To some who have grown up on the King James version of the scripture. Holy Ghost. The word holy in the Greek is hagios. Which means withdrawn, separate, distinct, different, inaccessible. And that is true of God. He is that in the sense that he is sinless. He is not a sinner like we are. He is different. He is above us. He's transcendent. But that term has the connotation of that God is inaccessible to us. He's beyond us. We cannot know him. Holy Ghost. And that's a serious and meaningful translation when it was done and people understood it. But today, just think for a moment. If you're a child and you hear Holy Ghost, And you're told to talk to the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost is going to guide you. They don't understand the word holy and they're terrified of the word ghost. It has a foreboding spirit about it, an attitude about it. It It's Halloween-like. Ghost. So just let me suggest to you parents of young children, because the terms are interchangeable based on the Word of God, when you talk about the Holy Spirit, talk about the Spirit of Jesus. Because Jesus was separate in that he never sinned. But I tell you this, he was accessible to anybody and to everybody. He was not detached, he was attached. He was not exclusive, he was inclusive. The spirit of Jesus, the spirit of love, the spirit of compassion, the spirit of forgiveness, the spirit of support, the spirit of positiveness. Help our children to grow up understanding that God is transcendent, but He is also imminent. He is with us in the Spirit of Jesus. And and that's just a couple of things I want to mention quickly That, that God, the Spirit of Jesus, really means God in the present tense. God in the present tense. It also means, as we read this passage and understand the the context of it, it also means that God is able to intervene in our lives. Not in any deterministic fashion to override our wills, but He is there to intervene. He is there through the Holy Spirit to work within us and to speak to us. Incidentally, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus comes to us before we're ever Christians. That's the only way we can become Christians is that the Spirit of Jesus comes to us. That's what the Scripture says. When He comes, He will convict us of sin and of righteousness and of, ju- and of judgment to come. We don't start looking for Jesus. The reason we start looking for Jesus is because the Spirit of Jesus has come and created within us an appetite for the Lord, an appetite for God, a hunger for God. So the initiative is all with Him. So he is able to intervene not to override us but to influence us and to motivate us and to direct us. That's the next point. He is the present tense of God. He is able to intervene and he is there to direct us in the direction he wants us to go. And sometimes he says, no, I don't want you to go that way. I want you to go this way. But Lord, yes, I understand you've been there. I understand the good old days. I understand what happened in the past. But now, but now... But now we move on. And this is a word not only for us individually. It's a word for us as a church. As we think about the vision 2000. We don't know what the next century is going to bring. But God does. And he's trying to equip us now. For being able and willing to move in some new directions. Maybe 180 degrees from what some of us are accustomed to. We want to go back to Asia Minor. Paul says no. There's new land out there. There's a new direction I want you to go. You need to be open and responsive to the leadership of God. I do individually, you do individually, and corporately we need to be that in the life of this church. And so he was the present, he is the present tense of God, Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus, present tense of God. He is able to intervene and he is able to direct us. And then once we know the direction we're supposed to go. We are motivated to move. Listen to this. Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him. Come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision. He got ready at once. No more talking. No more committee meetings. No more discussion. No more prayer meetings. Move. Move! It's time to do it now. I'll be with you. You're going to get in a boat. And you're going to go to a place you've never been before. and Never thought you would go. But I'm going to be with you. And I'll go ahead of you. And I'll be there to see great things happen. I don't need to pray anymore. We've been praying for two years about Vision 2000. We've been talking for two years about Vision 2000. We've come to the corporate conclusion under the leadership of the Spirit of Jesus that we're to move into a new era. We're to prepare for moving out into a new century that some of us may not occupy for many years, but we're to get on the boat of faith and we're to move. And now's the time to do it. Now's the time to do it. So they did, and they got over there, got to Philippi, and the first place they went was to a prayer meeting. Now it's interesting, if you read the 16th chapter of the book of Acts, everything that happened to them was undergirded by prayer. That's been true of this church. That's been true of this church from its beginning. But when we began our prayer ministry, it became even more the intense power of this church's life was the prayer ministry that undergirds everything that's going on. And you'll notice through these events that occur in Paul's life that I'll have time barely to touch on, Prayer is a basic ingredient in every one of the events. So they went to a prayer meeting. It was on the Sabbath. They went to a prayer meeting out beside a quiet brook. And uh, let me read it to you. On the Sabbath, we went out of the city by by the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Now, I don't know whether they were going to find a place of prayer for themselves and happened to run into some other people praying. That could well have happened that way because God has a marvelous way of leading us, doesn't he? He got out there and here were some people praying. We sat down and began to speak to the the women who had gathered there. Maybe they'd gathered there for prayer apparently. It was the Sabbath. Maybe they were Jews. They were there praying. And one of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira who was a worshiper of God. Good woman. Business woman. Respectable woman. Worshiped God. But she didn't know Jesus. That's possible. Didn't know Jesus. Didn't know the spirit of Jesus. The person of Jesus. The power of Jesus. The forgiveness of Jesus. We sat down and began to speak to the women who'd gathered there. And one of those listening was a woman named Lydia. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Now I don't know what Paul preached. (coughs) Excuse me. No one there may have remembered the sermon the important thing is not remembering the sermon, but hearing what the Spirit says to your heart. And she listened. And when she and the members of her household, they, she accepted the Lord's, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. The spirit of Jesus was at work in her life. and when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her house. Isn't this wonderful? The first convert in the Western world was a woman, maybe a widow. A businesswoman and her home became the first church in the western world interesting isn't it how Jesus uses women to start things first person to announce the resurrection to the disciples was a woman named Mary Magdalene first woman to become a Christian in the western world was a woman named Lydia thank God for the leadership of women she became a Christian, her whole household became a Christian, her home became apparently the first church in the Western world. Prayer meetings, the power of a prayer meeting. A friend from Hungary here today, I remember vividly being in Yugoslavia. I was able to preach there about five times through the years. And this was during the days of communist domination of that part of the world. I remember going. I was speaking at Novisod at a Baptist seminary there. A number of us were there working, ministering together. And um, some of the students in the seminary were trying to minister in a community of about 40,000 or 50,000 people. Where there was no evangelical church. Uh, there was uh, an Orthodox church or an Eastern Orthodox church. But no church with an evangelical message and emphasis. And they said now uh, this would be an illegal meeting. But uh, you're not going to get in any trouble because they probably won't say anything. We're, but would, you, would you mind coming out and, and leading a service? Uh, we're going to meet in a home. We don't have a building. We've got a nice home that, that we can meet in. Would you mind coming and uh, preaching? I said, I'll be glad to. And they said, well now, uh, I, we need to tell you. It's an illegal meeting. We're, we're doing something that's against the law. But they won't do anything to you. They just tell you, don't do that anymore. Uh, the owner of the home may get in a little trouble. But... We don't expect that. Will you come, Dr. Joseph Horak, who was uh, a doctor of economics, who taught at Zagreb University, left there to become pastor of the Zagreb Baptist Church. A man who came to San Antonio, spoke in his pulpit many, many years ago. Wonderful man. Uh, Dr. Horak went along to, to translate, and I tried to preach, and and he translated, and then we had a prayer meeting, and the house was just packed in every room and even had the windows open people standing outside there were a hundred or more people uh, at, at that meeting and uh, they began to pray at, after the message they just began to pray and I couldn't understand the language of course uh, serbo Croatian they were speaking and I didn't understand that uh, Dr. Hora could of course and uh, right in the middle of the prayer meeting when people were praying one after another getting up and praying a girl stood up and she just broke down and started crying. And she said, Lord, I don't know who you are. Now I know this because Dr. Horrock translated it for me. He was whispering in my ear. Lord, I don't know who you are. I've never met you. And I know nothing about you. But I want what these people have. And she began to sob and sat down. And some young people around her began to talk to her and she became a Christian. The Spirit of Jesus moving in a person's heart through praying Christians. So they had a prayer meeting. Well, the next thing they did was they went into the city. They were going to the place of prayer. We were the 16th verse. They were on their way to pray again. Uh, We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. And uh, she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. Uh, Here was a woman who was possessed by by an evil spirit. And uh, she started following after Paul and, and Silas and those that were along and started crying out about them, crying out about them. Finally, Paul just said, come out of her, come out of her. In the name of the Lord Jesus, come out of her. And her whole life was changed. That moment. Became a Christian. Created a, a furor because the people who owned the woman uh, were gaining revenue from her fortune telling. And they didn't want to see that source of income cut off. So they were angry at Paul and Silas. But here he was in a street service. Went from a prayer service to a street service. I don't know how many of you have ever been in a, in a street service or not. Uh, I've preached in a street service numbers of times. Now you hear somebody preaching in the street and you think, well, they're a nut. Well, you're looking at a nut because I have preached in the street. I think what you preach in the streets, what's important. I've heard some condemning everybody and telling everybody they were going to hell, but you can go to churches where that's all you hear too. But when you get out there, you need to be telling people about the love of God and he's come to save you and he's come to forgive you and have good news for you, not bad news. Uh, we used to preach uh, on the street once a week in New Orleans when Martha and I were in the seminary in New Orleans. We'd go down to French Quarter. We'd take a group along. A group would sing. Take one of those little organs, you know, you'd pump. And we'd go down there, right there by morning call, right by the, uh, by the market. There were hundreds of people there. And we'd have a street service. You'd stand there. Sometimes people would stop and listen. Sometimes they would go on. Sometimes they'd look at you like you were crazy, but you just kept... Right on doing it, we had a choir there to sing. and Martha would often sing a solo and I, I would endeavor to preach. I preached on the street from a flatbed truck on the town square in Mayfield, Kentucky on Saturday afternoon. We were having a crusade there. And all the merchants around the square agreed to close their stores on Saturday afternoon for 30 minutes. All of them closed their stores for 30 minutes so we could have this, this street service, the busiest afternoon of the, of the week or the month for them. That, that Saturday afternoon had a street service there. People accepted the Lord as Savior. So uh, I, I, I have respect for people who preach on the street. It takes courage to do that. I can tell you it takes courage to do that. And, and here is Paul preaching on the street. And what he is preaching here, what he's communicating here, and what the Spirit of Jesus is communicating here is this, that the Spirit of God is comfortable with imperfect people. The Spirit of God is comfortable with imperfect people. And we're all imperfect. It just shows up in different ways, different symptoms in our lives. It manifests itself in in different ways. But whosoever will may come, Mary Magdalene, out of whom Jesus cast seven devils. Mark tells us, so does Luke. What does that mean? I don't know what the seven devils were. Seven is the number of completion. I think what it meant was she just full of the devil. She was just full of the devil and the spirit of Jesus cast that out. And whatever it was, we're seeing it happen. It's happening all the time. We see it happen through the ministry of Alpha Home. We see it, through it happen through the ministry of counseling. We see God deliver people from that which is destroying them. And you know who does that? The preacher doesn't do it. The counselor doesn't do it. The Spirit of Jesus does it. He does it through people. But to him be the praise for what happened. Well, Paul got in trouble because he, because he was preaching in the street. And because this woman who was converted began to... Uh, her life was changed and so they lost a source of income and they had Paul and Silas arrested and thrown into jail so he had a jail service Uh, I preached in the jail never as a fellow prisoner but I have preached I have preached in in the jail but for the grace of God I should also Uh, have the present situation didn't look so good did it threw them into into prison. When the owners of the slave girl, 19th verse, realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. And by, they were advoc- accused them of advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And so they beat them, whipped them, and threw them into prison. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were pray- praying and singing praises unto God. They took them and they put them in the innermost prison. I mean down there in solitary confinement. They put their feet in stocks. And their backs were bleeding. They'd been beaten because they were preaching the gospel. Things didn't look so good from a contemporary standpoint at that moment, did it? The present situation was pretty bleak. But why could they sing? Sing praises unto God in the most extenuating, strenuous circumstances because they knew that their present situation was not their ultimate condition. They knew that there was, beyond the jails and the prisons and the punishment, life everlasting. Thou will be secure, the Bible says, because there's hope. Even in prison, prison of a sick body, the prison of a broken heart, whatever it might be, you will be secure because there is hope. There is hope. I read somewhere recently about a woman who was trying to get her husband to read the Bible. And she finally talked him into reading the Bible. So he decided he would begin with the last chapter, the last book of the Bible. So he's going to read the book of the Revelation first. Now I have a very good friend who's a member of this church. Maybe there are others of you who do this. But this person, when they read a book, and they read a lot of books, always reads the last chapter first. They want to know how it turns out. And uh, that's okay. Some of you may have the same propensity, but this person likes to read the last chapter first. Well, this man read the book of the Revelation, finished it. And his wife said, well, what did you think? I said, that's wonderful. She said, what are you going to read next? He said, I'm not going to read anything. She said, you mean you're not going to read the rest of the Bible? He said, no, I don't need to. I find out that we win. (laughs) We win. So why go through all the rest of that? We're going to be more than conquerors. We're going to win. One of my favorite authors is Arthur Gordon, who's written a new book entitled Return to Wonder. And in that book, he interviews one a man that he f- was greatly influenced by and whom he felt was one of the finest men in American history, Dr. Carl Menninger, the famous psychiatrist from Kansas. And Dr. Menninger said to Arthur Gordon, if you lose hope, You stop caring. If you lose hope, you stop caring. You stop caring. You know the seven deadly sins. You've heard about seven deadly sins, and one of them is sloth. Sloth. Well, that's not a word that we hear or use very often, but the connotation in the minds of most people when they hear the word sloth means lazy indolent no that's not what it means at all the word that's translated sloth comes from the greek word akadeia which doesn't mean lazy it means not caring not caring one of the seven deadly sins is not caring jesus saw all the multitudes and had what? Compassion. Compassion. You lose hope, you stop caring. And then Dr. Menninger said, and I love this statement that he made that Arthur Gordon wrote. Each one of us is here to primarily do one thing. To dilute the misery in the world. Isn't that a great phrase? What are we here to do as individuals and as a church? What are we here to do? Dilute the misery in the world. God, save us from well-meaning Christians who contribute to misery. God, help us all. Help me. Help us as a church dilute the misery in the world. We're not going to obliterate all of it. We're not going to destroy all evil. We're not going to legislate sin out of business. It's going to be here until Jesus Christ comes back. But what do we do? What can we do? What are we to do? We're to dilute the misery of the world because we have hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and know that someday we're going to be more than conquerors through him that loved us. Paul and Silas prayed, and when God said amen, the prison fell down. The walls began to shake. Everything began to come apart. Their bonds were loosed and the doors flew open and all the prisoners were going to escape. And the Philippian jailer, you know the story, the Philippian jailer looked down there and saw all those doors open. He thought the prisoners had escaped and he knew the Roman law. And the Roman law was that if you allow your prisoner to escape, we take your life in his place. So he knew that he was a goner. They were going to kill him because he'd let his prisoners escape. Even though he had nothing to do with the earthquake, he was going to kill himself. And Paul said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't you hurt yourself. Do yourself no harm, we're all here. And that Philippian jailer grabbed a light, a torch, and went running in there. And fell down on his knees in front of these men. The same men he had whipped and beaten and locked into stocks. Down on his face. Crying out. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? He'd heard Paul and Silas singing at midnight. He'd heard Paul and Silas praying at midnight. So had the other prisoners. The Bible says, and the prisoners heard them. I don't believe they were doing it as a service. I believe they were doing it because... They didn't know there was anyone overhearing them. They didn't know anyone was listening. They were in a cell by themselves, their feet locked and stopped. And at midnight, they prayed and sang praises unto God. And the gospel got overheard by the jailer. The jailer became a Christian and took Paul and Silas home and washed their wounds, treated them, fed them. And his whole family became a Christian, and they were all baptized. Look at the first church in Europe Lydia, a street woman, and a civil servant, a jailer. They all got together in the Lord. Isn't that an amazing beginning? This egalitarian accumulation of people in the life of the early church, there to be the pattern for us today and the pattern for the 21st century. What must I do to be saved? And Paul stated the gospel as succinctly as he knew how. And it's never been better stated. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Well, Buckner, I have to do that. no. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, but no. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But I've done this. I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will Be saved. Paul was overheard. Paul and Silas were overheard. What if they'd been complaining? What if they'd been blaming? What kind of influence would that have had on those who were listening? Well, the Philippian jailer would never have been converted. If they'd been complainers and criticizers, they were praising God, even in the midst of horrendous circumstances, singing praises unto God and pray. And the prisoners heard them. Martha had forgotten this story. It happened so long ago. And uh, Last night I was telling her, she asked me about what I'm gonna to do today, and I was telling her, and she said, remind me of that story. I hardly remember it. Let me tell it to you and then I'm through. I was preaching along with our evangelistic team back in the in the 50s in a crusade in Natchez, Mississippi. This was the mid-50s, and had Minister of Music, our song leader Bill Jackson, and Uh, organist and pianist and advanced man we had a team of folks there and Bill Jackson and I were in uh, adjoining rooms and I I didn't know who was on the other side of me in the other room now some of you remember what hotels were like in the 50's They, they were not as nice as they are now by any means and this was not a four star hotel to begin with by me it was comfortable and it was clean it was okay by me they didn't have a mint on the pillow there for you uh, at night and uh, but it was okay it was okay rooms were small <laughs> uh, they were so small you had to go outside to change your mind I mean that's how small they were you close the door and the doorknob would get in bed with you there it was pretty pretty tight and there were jokes uh, floating around about the fact you could read in a newspaper of the guy in the room next to you the walls were so thin you could, uh, you could read a newspaper through those walls. How many of you have stayed in hotels like that? <laughs> okay, well, uh, when I was traveling all those years, uh, and still do, when I'm away, I call Martha every night. I say, well, that's an expensive thing. Well, figured if we have to be away a lot and have to be apart a lot, we just want to check in with each other. It's just We figure that's one of the expenses of our, of our marriage, so I call every night. And I called and I was talking to her and uh, telling her about the meeting and how things were going, wanting to know how her little baby was doing. Mike was a little boy then. And uh, so we talked. And then, then we said some personal things. Some love things to each other, missing one another. And uh, hung up, went to bed, and went to sleep. Next morning about 7 o'clock, my phone rang. I thought it was Bill Jackson or... Dick White was one of the team. And the man said, you don't know me. And I don't know you. If I were to see you, I wouldn't know you. But he said, uh, I was staying in the room next to you last night. And he said, I wasn't eavesdropping, but I couldn't help but overhear. He said, your voice carries pretty good. <laughs> he said, I couldn't help but overhear your conversation with your wife. And he said, would you mind having breakfast with me this morning? I'd like to talk to you. I said, why, certainly. I said, I'll meet you down at the coffee shop in about 30 minutes. So I met him down there about 7.30. And he said, I I heard what you said, what you were talking about. He said, I I don't have a, a marriage like that. I don't have a relationship at home like that. kind of tell me, tell me about you. I told him about me, how the Lord had come into my life and changed my life, and how the Lord had brought Martha and me together and was keeping us together by an ongoing love and acceptance of one another. And he said, I'm I'm checking out, but he said, I'm going to go home and I'm going to talk to my wife and see if we can't. Get started in a new way. It frightened me. What if I'd been saying something else? What if we'd been arguing, bickering? What if we'd been making fun of what was going on there in the revival? What if it had been critical? Words fitfully spoken are like apples of gold and pitchers of silver. The scripture says, God help us to so live that when people overhear us, because I believe the most powerful influence in the world is unconscious witnessing. Well, I believe in conscious witnessing, but I believe the most powerful influence we exert is unconscious. Not what we say, but what we are at home. Relationship with our families and our friends, our church, our community. Oh yes, there are bad things happening in the world. A lot of bad things happening. But my friend, there are more good things happening. Because God is good and God is alive and well and at work in our world. We're going to move into the 21st century. As a church, we need to move in a spirit of prayer. We need to move being willing and able to tell people about our faith in Christ. We need to move being willing to work with anybody and everybody irrespective of what their problem may be or what their propensity toward life may be, whatever their circumstances may be. We need to keep moving and sometimes we find ourselves in prison or other people in prison. We're there. sing at midnight. God will give us songs in the night because you have hope. You're secure. You win. You've read the end of the book. So live for him while we have the days to do it. If you've never trusted him, like Lydia, trust him this morning. Maybe you've worshipped God but never met Jesus. Meet Him this morning. Trust Him. Maybe you feel like you've been bound by some kind of habit or thought that just makes you a prisoner, keeps you in shackles and manacles. Let the Spirit of God deliver you today. He will. He is able. And do the walls seem to be crumbling around you? Everything seems to be coming apart. And all the lights seem to be going out. Cry out with the Philippian jailer. What must I do to be saved? And let me echo the words of the great apostle. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll be saved. You will be saved. And so. Maybe you'd like to come and rededicate your life. Say Lord help me to sing at midnight. Help my spirit and my attitude to be one. That if I'm overheard. People will be attracted to you. Maybe to come join the church to be a part of the fellowship. Did you notice that all of those people became a part of the church? That's what church is for, is to help each other, encourage one another. So would you come? This church is open to you, whoever you are, wherever you're coming from. It's the Lord's, and we invite you to come as we sing God's invitation. Let's stand and let's sing.